Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this time for Bible Crossfire. Um, we invite you to call in, ask your Bible question, make a Bible comment. We're certainly open to that. As a matter of fact, we give callers priority. If I'm talking about something else in the Bible and you call in and ask a question about it, any Bible topic, I'm going to try to get you in to the program. As I said, I'm going to give you the priority. While we're waiting on a first call, I thought we'd talk about the falling of the walls of Jericho. Let me begin by reading Joshua 6, 2 through 5, and then we're going to talk about some lessons that we can learn from this story. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given to thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. I think most of the listeners to this program, if you're familiar with the Bible, would be familiar with this story. And of course, we're under the, not under the Old Testament now. We're, we're Gentiles. Uh, we're not trying to take the city of Jericho as a Jewish nation, but I think there's some things we can learn from this. First of all, I want us to notice that the walls of Jericho fell by grace through faith, not of works. But the Israelites still had to do something for those walls to fall. Now, I say that because many will say Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which teaches salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. They say that means you don't have to do anything to be saved. Again, they say Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Therefore, you don't have to do anything to be saved. But I think we can learn from this story, the walls of Jericho, the walls fell by grace through faith, not of works, yet they still had to walk 13 times in seven days for those walls to fall. Let's prove that. We mentioned in, already in read Galatians chapter, excuse me, Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, where the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. Now that's about what grace is. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift. You work a job and they give you money, that's not a gift. You earn that. If your grandmother gives you a birthday check when you're growing up, that's a gift. You didn't have to work for it. So when Joshua said, I've given, when God said, I've given into thine hand Jericho, he's talking about he's going to give them Jericho by grace. It's something they did not earn, unmerited favor. It's a gift. And then we can learn from a passage like Hebrews 11, verse 30, that the walls of Jericho fell by faith. Well, that's what it says. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. So we see the walls of Jericho fell by grace through faith. And Joshua 24.13 teaches the walls of Jericho fell by not of works. Here's how Joshua 24.13 reads. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor in cities which you built not, and you dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do you eat. So he gave them a land for the for which they did not labor. Like that birthday check your grandmother gave you when you were growing up. You didn't work for it. It's not like you had a job and earned the money. 
God gave them this land for which they did not labor. They didn't work in order to earn and capture, knock the walls down themselves. To knock the walls of Jericho down themselves, the Israelites would have had to use battering rams and sledgehammers. No, God knocked the walls down. The walls fell by grace, Joshua 6.2, through faith, Hebrews 11.30, not of works, Joshua 24.13, but did the Israelites have to do anything for God to knock those walls down? They did. They had to walk around those walls 13 times in seven days, blow the trumpets and shout, then God knocked the walls down. So when we say that the walls of Jericho didn't fall by works, what we mean is, is that the walking around the walls is not the thing that knocked the walls down. It's not like they vibrated the earth like crazy. Like I said, they would have had to use battering rams and sledgehammers to do it themselves. No, they walked around the walls. That was just a condition they had to meet in order for God to knock the walls down. So if you can see that the walls of Jericho fell down by grace through faith, not of works, yet the Israelites still had to do something in order for the walls to fall, then you ought to be able to see the same thing about Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and our salvation. Certainly, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 teaches that our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything to be saved. What Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is teaching is that our works do not save us, not that we don't have to do works to be saved. You see the difference? I'm going to repeat that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 teaches our works do not save us. The death of Christ does that. It does not teach that we don't have to do works to be saved, just like the walls. The walls of Jericho were not knocked down by the Israelites. God did it. Though Them walking around the walls didn't knock the walls down, but they had to walk in order for the walls to come down. Our works, matter of fact, our faith is the same thing. Our faith is and our works, our faith and our obedience is not what saves us. Those things don't earn our salvation. Faith and obedience are just conditions we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 does not teach that we don't have to do works to be saved. That would contradict James 2, 24, which says, you see them have that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. What Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is, is teaching is that those works that we have to do to be saved are not the things that saved us. We have to obey in order to be saved by the death of Christ. And it's the death of Christ that saves us, not our obedience. You see the point? The lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. And I bring this up. This seems to be one of the most prevalent false teachings in our denomina- in the denominational world or in our religious world today. For some reason, everybody has this idea that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 teaches you don't have to do anything to be saved, when that's not what it's teaching at all. What it's teaching is the things that we have to do to be saved are not the things that save us. They had to walk around the walls for the walls to fall, but the walking around the walls is not what, not what knocked the walls down. You see the parallel? Again, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Another thing that we learn from this story in Joshua 6 is that precise obedience is required. Remember we read verses 3 through 5 where God told Joshua that what the people were going to have to do is walk around the wall once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. 
blow the trumpets, and then shout. They had to do exactly what God said. If they had only walked around the walls two or three days, or maybe one time on the seventh day, or if they hadn't blown the trumpets, then God wouldn't have knocked the walls down. We have, if God says, I'll give you a blessing, if you'll do A, B, and C, then you have to do A, B, and C to get that blessing, whatever the blessing is. Let's make some, a New Testament application of this. For example, many churches teach that sprinkling for baptism will suffice. That, of course, as you know, many churches like the Catholic, the Methodist, the Presbyterian, They'll sprinkle. Sometimes a lot of them will sprinkle babies, but they think sprinkling for baptism is good enough. But God said in Romans 6, verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, when somebody dies and we take them out to the graveyard to bury them, does that mean we just sprinkle a little dirt on their head? Or does that mean we put them all the way up under the ground? We know what the word buried means, and this says we're buried with him, Christ, in baptism. So so if we want to baptize somebody, we're going to have to bury them in the water. We're going to have to immerse them. Now, just like with the walls of Jericho, they had to do everything God said, just like he said to do it to get the blessing for those walls to fall. It's going to be the same for us. If we want to get the forgiveness of sins, which comes through the death of Christ at our baptism, Acts 2.38, then we're going to have to practice baptism the way he said, and that would be a burial, an immersion, not sprinkling. Let me go back to another Old Testament uh, story or uh, to to make another point. Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 reads this way, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, of course, this is in the Old Testament. And we know we're not under Old Testament law anymore. We're not going to learn how to worship God from this text. The New Testament doesn't tell us to worship God by burning incense. But that's the way they were supposed to do it in the Old Testament. And Nadab and Abihu were worshiping God, but they weren't doing it the way God specified. Now, even though we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, here's something I think we can learn from that. However God tells us, to worship God in the New Testament, we better do it that way or God is going to be displeased. Nadab and Abihu were worshiping God, but not the way he specified. God was displeased. If we worship God today, but not the way he specified, in the New Testament, God is going to be displeased. It seems many have the idea that all they have to do is worship God. It doesn't really matter how. They can choose how to worship God. If they want to do it with a rock band or if they want to do it with their secular talents, None of it makes any difference. They choose the way to worship God, and that's going to be acceptable. That's not right. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth would mean according to God's word. Jesus said in John 17.17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is. If we're going to worship God according to truth, then we're going to not just worship God, but we're going to worship God the way he's told us to worship him. After all, the Bible is where God tells us how to please him. And so if we want to please God, we're going to do what the Bible says. Another thing I'd like to mention from the the walls of Jericho is that you don't get blessings from God until you've done what he said to do to get the blessing. Remember I said that if God says you have to do A, B, and C to get a blessing, then you have to do all of that, A, B, and C. 
Remember Hebrews 11, verse 30, which said, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. They didn't walk, they didn't fall at the moment the Israelites had faith. I imagine on the first or second day, they had a faith that God would knock those walls down if they did what he said. But the walls didn't fail, didn't fall when they had the faith. They fell by faith, but after they were compassed about seven days. And so we we learn from this that that to get a blessing from God, you have to do everything that God said to do in order to get that blessing. We'll come back to that point, Lord willing, but let's take a call. Peter from British Columbia. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. I Thank you very much for taking my call. I, I just want to mention that I agree with everything that you're saying and um, reading the Bible um, with the fulfillment of uh, what's happened in the past. It's more like a history of, of all the fulfillment of prophecies. And then, however, my, my, my question is more around after the Bible has been written now and what's happening going forward, uh, there's lots of prophets out there, but there's there's nothing that's uh, giving us directive uh, like you're marching around the walls and stuff like that on what's going forward other than what we read in Revelation. Well, what we have is we have the Old Testament was revealed to direct the Israelites how to live. The New Testament is written to direct us how to live. And so what we need to do is called the law of Christ in Galatians 6, 2. Of course, we're saved by grace, but God doesn't, he, he expects us to live a certain way. And he tells us how he wants us to live, what we have to do to be saved, how to worship him. He tells us all of that in the New Testament. So we study the New Testament to find out how to please God for today. Did that, does that answer your question, Peter? Because in the New Testament is complete. It tells us everything we need to know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Peter, I understand. Yes, I understand. Um, I understand that fully. But there's so many prophets today that are prophesizing that has nothing to do with. Well, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with it. It has a lot to do with what their vision is and, and the direction that they're getting from what people may have gotten from the uh, Old Testament. And I understand the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I'm just, I'm just curious about. Um, the direction mean, that's happening. You're talking about people prophesying today? Yes. Yeah, but you know, do you remember that passage, Peter, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, says, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Now, I don't have time right now because we have to go off the air in, in less in just a few minutes. But if we could go into the context here, we would say, that's ta- saying that at one point, at some point, future when Paul's writing that prophecy would stop. The miraculous tongues would stop. And it basically teaches that when that which is perfect, the completed revelation, when the New Testament is completed, then all the prophecy and all the revelation would cease. So we don't have, there's no such thing as a true prophet from God anymore, Peter. All the prophecy, all the revelation we need today is in the New Testament. It's complete. The whole New Testament law is there. Everything we need to know is in that New Testament law. I mentioned 2 Timothy 3. Let me read that, verse 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So the Bible, in particular for us, the New Testament, Peter, tells us everything we need to know. 
there are no more true prophets today. First Corinthians 13 says that they would cease at a certain point, and they did. Does that make sense, Peter? Makes perfect sense. Thank you very much. Hey, Peter, I tell you what. Uh, maybe we can talk later after the program, and maybe we can talk about this in more detail, because that was a pretty short answer. But I only have a few minutes in this program, okay? Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Peter, for your call. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. And so we were talking about the walls of Jericho, and we learned from that story that blessing, the blessing of the walls falling would only come after the Israelites did everything that God had told them to do. Hebrews 11.30, I'm just repeating myself, said, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. So just walking two or three days, just walking seven days, but only one time on the seventh day wouldn't cut it. They had to do everything that God said to do before they got the blessing. Now, I'm not going to turn and read that, but do you remember, audience, the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5? He had leprosy, and the prophet Elisha said, if you'll go dip in the Jordan River seven times, God will heal you of that leprosy. That's in 2 Kings chapter 5. Well, Naaman did eventually what Elisha said, and he got he got cleansed. He got healed of his leprosy. But what if he had only not gone and dipped in the Jordan River? Or what if he had only dipped one time? He wouldn't have been cleansed. He had to do everything that God said to do in order to get the blessing. He had to dip seven times in the Jordan River in order to be cleansed of his leprosy. And he was cleansed of his leprosy, but not till he had dipped that seventh time. Now, let me make a New Testament illustration. A lot of people look at texts like John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they mistakenly conclude that all a person has to do to be saved is believe. But I think what we should have learned from Naaman just now, and also the story of the walls of Jericho, is that we have to do everything that God says to do in order to receive a blessing. And when God talks about the blessing of salvation, it's true that belief is the only thing mentioned in verse 16, but other passages mention other things. For example, John 3.16, as we said, says you've got to believe in order to be saved. But Jesus said in Mark 16.16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So when you put those two passages together, knowing that you have to do everything that God says to do in order to receive the blessing of salvation, that's the lesson we've learned from the walls of Jericho. We understand that we're going to have to believe and be baptized. We're also going to have to repent of our sins to be saved from our sins. Talking to believers in Acts chapter 2, Peter said in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so these believers had to repent of their sins and be baptized in order to receive the remission of sins. Belief was not enough. John 3.16 is not telling us everything we have to do in order to be saved. We have to, if God says you'll get a blessing, if you have, if you do A, B, and C, you have to do A, B, and C in order to get the blessing, not just A. You know, a good illustration of this point is Saul of Tarsus. Here he is, a faithful Jew, persecuting Christians, but sincere. So the Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus. Saul believes in Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's told to go into the city 
He's in the city then three days waiting while Ananias then comes to him to tell him what to do. In Acts 22, verse 16, when Ananias finally gets there, he tells Saul, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So obviously belief is not all you have to do because Saul had believed in Christ three days earlier. We're all agreed that it's the blood of Christ that washes away our, uh, our sins. We're saved by the death of Christ. Our, even our faith does not save us in that sense. That's not, our faith is not what earns our salvation. Neither is our obedience. It's the blood of Christ, the death of Christ that washes away our sins. The question is when. When we believe? No. Saul of Tarsus believed on the road to Damascus. But here he is at least three days later. He's being told by a representative of God to do something to get his sins washed away. So his sins weren't washed away when he believed three days earlier. They were washed away when he was baptized. Don't we see that from Acts twenty two sixteen? Like I said, when God told the Israelites, you want the blessing of the walls being knocked down? You got to walk around the walls for seven days, blow the trumpets, shout. They had to do all of those things. They had to do A, B, and C in order to receive the blessing that God conditioned upon A, B, and C. It's the same way with our salvation. If you want the blessing of salvation, you're going to have to do A, B, and C. John 3.16 says you've got to do A, believe. Mark 6, Acts 2.38 says you've got to do B, repent of your sins. And Mark 16.16 and Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 and other texts say you've got to do C. You've got to be baptized. You've got to do, just like in Joshua 6, you've got to do A, B, and C to get the blessing that God has conditioned upon A, B, and C. And in this case, the blessing is salvation from sin. You see that? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. You know, another lesson I think we can learn from the walls of Jericho is that human reasoning does not necessarily determine the right way. And it's true we use our human reasoning to try to understand what God wrote to us in the Bible. But we don't say, well, I think, for example, I know the Bible says women shouldn't speak in the church, but I think they ought to speak, so we're going to do it anyway. That's using our own human reasoning. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so just because something seems right to us doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be right. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. We have to trust God. It's not necessarily what's going to seem right to us, what is the right way. It's what the scriptures say is the right way. And isn't that the way it worked with the walls of Jericho? Let's suppose you had been a general back in that army back then. Would you have thought of the plan to walk around the walls 13 times in seven days and the walls would fall down? Would that have been your battle plan? Nobody would have thought of that. Human reasoning would never lead us to that conclusion. That conclusion was reached because God told them what they had to do. Walk around those walls 13 times in seven days, blow the trumpets and shout. To a lot of people, that wouldn't make any sense. So the Israelites had to trust God, have faith in God, and do it anyway. Even though it might not make logical sense, they did it. And when they did it, God knocked the walls down. And that's the same way we have it today when we're trying to please God. Something God tells us to do. We might not agree with it. We may not understand it. Just do it if you want to get the blessing. 
that God has promised based upon those conditions that he's asked you to meet. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Last week, we were talking about the plan of salvation. We were talking about the promised Messiah. Well, the woman at the well knew there was supposed to be a promised Messiah coming. She said in John chapter 4, verse uh, 25 and 26, she said, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I that speak unto thee am he. So we were talking about last week about the promised Messiah. Jesus says he is the promised Messiah. He's the, 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 he is the object of the plan of salvation. Hey, if you want a free one-hour phone Bible study, I'll do it with you at your convenience. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. For a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.